Our Old Testament reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you, teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I'm giving you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful. Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Gospel reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and I'm reading from verses 28 through to 34, the greatest commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one, no one dared ask him any more questions. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, today we start a new series, The Greatest Commandment, and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at this great commandment, which we often recite in our church services, in our prayer book services. What does it mean to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole strength, and to love our neighbour as ourselves? When I was at high school, I had a friend, a friend called Liz, And Liz uh, was a Christian and she faithfully invited me to her church and to her youth group um, to mix with some of her Christian friends. She persevered with me all through high school and actually even beyond. I think it was a period of about six years um, that she kept inviting me and sometimes I'd go to stuff and sometimes I wouldn't. She was just, she persevered. And to this day, we are still great friends. She's been living in the UK for about 20 years now, but even just uh, yesterday, we were texting each other, sharing ideas about curriculum for our Sunday school. So 
you know, what is that, 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 that commitment over such a long time, especially in the early days of our friendship? That is love. Last year, in the state in which we live, Victoria, 6.4 million people, mostly wealthy, healthy, sorry, mostly healthy and well people, 6.4 million of us, sacrificed over half a year in donning masks, washing hands, working from home, not going out, limiting outings, uh, so that the most vulnerable in our society might be safe from this terrible virus which is going around the world. What is that? That is love. People in this church, there's about 150 people in this church, and during all those months last year when our church couldn't open because of the pandemic, because of this virus, we couldn't open and people couldn't attend church, and yet these people continued to support the church, to support our ministry and to support their minister. What is that? That is love. We have a missionary that we support. We have a number of missionaries we support, but I just want to mention one today, Irene. She has been on the mission field for about 35 years, 35 years of serving in a developing nation for the glory of God, 35 years of sacrifice, of frugality, of isolation. What is that? That is love. There is something in the nature of love, not the way perhaps we tend to romantically use the word, but it's, it's deeper sense of our commitment to other people. There is something in the nature of love that when we love another or others, it's not just about directing our will to their good just once. You know, we might call that a good deed. But to call it love means that there is some ongoing commitment. There is fidelity. There is a not giving up nature to our sense of commitment. There's an author by the name of Jack Meador, and he wrote a book called In Search of the Common Good. And he said in it that in the aftermath of his father having an, an accident, an injury, um, and he must have lived in a different state, he says his father's friends helped out a great deal. And they helped out a great deal for a long time. And in fact, he said one woman from his father's church is still mowing his dad's lawn three years after his dad's injury. These people, these friends, he said, could be depended upon, not once, not just on the day of injury, but for months and for some even for years. What is that? That is love. In this passage, we see that Jesus calls us to love God to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. I think that all of these, I used to wonder if perhaps all our heart and mind and soul and strength, whether this was a, a literary device, a, rep a repetition to sort of really drive home um, the degree of commitment that Jesus was calling. But I think rather that heart and soul and mind and strength describe our entire person, our entire identity, and it's worth reflecting on each one of them. So today I would just want to reflect on what does it mean to love God with our whole hearts and why does God want us to do it and how are we going doing that? Heart is perhaps the most difficult one to understand out of this, out of this um, command. 
How do we love God with our whole heart? The heart is an organ that beats in our chest. It's it's part of our body, and an organ doesn't decide to mow someone's lawn or to have you know to be committed to a certain person. Uh, in order to understand, and of course, we use the heart differently. We use that phrase differently. But in order to understand what Jesus meant and what it meant um, when the, in the Old Testament we read that command, what it meant, then we've got to go back into ancient literature and say, what did what did people mean when they used the word heart then? In classical literature, um, the word heart was sometimes used literally to mean this organ that beats in our chest, and sometimes it was used in a metaphorical sense as well. So, but even when it was used as like the organ of the body, it was describing what was understood to be the centre of physical life. And so the word was also used in a metaphorical sense um, of things in nature and in the animal kingdom. So, for example, the, the heart of a plant was its seed. So the seed was, you know, it was called the heart of the plant, the, the centre the innermost part, the heart of a piece of wood, the plith, um, the pith, sorry, was described as a heart, the innermost part. The ancient writer Homer, um, and we read about this in his in his piece, the Iliad, he used the word for heart, which in Greek is cardia. He he gave it an extended meaning, not just the centre, the innermost part, not just the centre of the body, but also the centre of our intellect and our spirit, the spiritual and intellectual centre of a person as well. He somehow combined heart and reason, and he didn't leave out either things like our thoughts and our feelings too. So that's a lot of words that were captured by this word heart, and Perhaps a modern word which I think captures it is this sense of our will because our will is talking about our feelings and our thoughts, um, our reasons. Um, The heart is the centre of our will. It's the seat of the power of our decision-making. It's our executive centre. The heart is our will, which is our executive centre. It's where, you know, we feel things and we think and we make choices. I will mow that lawn. I will go to church this weekend. Our wills are at the centre of us. Our wills are at the centre of our identity. Well, armed with those thoughts about that ongoing nature of love, that never giving up, and what it means that our heart is like our will, it's our executive centre where we make a lot of decisions, then let's track back up and look at that verse again. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said there is no commandment that is greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all all of your will. Commit 100%. Truly love. Commit your feelings and your thoughts and your choices and your direction to God, the Lord your God. Hmm. It begs the question, why does God want us? Like, why is this the greatest command? Why does God want us to love, to love with all of our heart, all of our will, all of our centre of our identity, making those choices, directing those thoughts and feelings? Why? Why does God want that love? 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. Because of God's great love, God made us alive in Christ. God's love for us saw God enter into a binding, ongoing, enduring commitment to us. And it was, a, it was an arrangement, a commitment that was based out of his mercy and his grace, his sense of blessing towards us. God loves us as a parent loves their child that they have created. So it seems pretty natural that God would want us to love him back. In Romans, um, in chapter 11, towards the end of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, spends about the first 10 chapters of his letter describing the big plan of redemption, creation and the fall into sin and God's plan of redemption and how extensive that is, that redemption was um, to not just be for the Israelite people, the people of God who were known in the Old Testament as, as Israel, as God's people, but that God's plan of redemption and his love was to spread also to the Gentiles, that God was so committed to us um, his love for us had such an ongoing nature, a never-give-up kind of nature, that out of the Godhead, Jesus stepped down from heaven to come and live amongst us and to be, if you like, the new Adam, the new Adam that wouldn't lead us like the first Adam into sin and death, but the new Adam that was going to bring life for us. And after Paul has described and written all of those chapters about God's great plan, he breaks out in poetry. This is what he writes, what we, what we, it's what we call a doxology at the end of chapter 11, as he's just like coming to rest, having described God's great love for us and his plan of redemption, how wide and vast and deep it is. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsel? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God deserves our love. God is so glorious. He, it's the only appropriate response. So this command to love God with all of our heart is simply calling us to respond, uh, to return the love that God has shown to us by placing our full affection and devotion on him. Recently, I watched a reality TV show, I will admit it, and in this, uh, in this reality TV show, there was a couple, a, a Chinese couple, and they were living together as they, they weren't married, but they were living together and they'd already had a child. They obviously loved one another and they, they had a child, a little girl, and uh, the, the, the female partner was pregnant with another child. They had a little boy. Um, and so much about their life was great, but, you know, she had this sense of humiliation because in her culture um, it was a shameful thing 
that um, her partner had never actually proposed to her, that they didn't have a lifelong commitment to be together, a commitment out of marriage. And in this show, um, after a number of episodes after the end and after she's had this second child, she actually proposed to him, which is also, you know, I think um, fairly unheard of in in most of the world and uh, in a traditional Chinese culture, it's, it's very unusual. And it was a wonderful response that her partner made. He said something like this. He said, he said, she deserves nothing less than my lifelong devotion. In fact, she deserves more. It was a beautiful response. And I feel that when God, who loves us so deeply, who stepped down from heaven and died on a cross and rose to new life, who just wants to bless us, who is disposed towards us in mercy and grace, um, to love God back is the least he deserves, the least that God deserves. In fact, God deserves even more. And so Paul goes on when he's written this great doxology in Romans, he goes on in chapter 12 to describe the appropriate response to this great God, who the depth of whose um, wisdom and knowledge is, um, you know, beyond us. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, he's saying, give God your everything. Give God your everything because God is so amazingly loving and blessing towards us. We're called to love God with all of who we are, our will, our choices, our emotions, our thoughts, our thinking, as well as our soul and our mind and our strength. And God deserves nothing less. Indeed, God deserves more. Well, if you and I were to do a bit of an assessment of how we measure up to this great command, um, I am afraid that on a scale of zero to 100, when we're asking ourselves how much of my thoughts and emotions and my choices and my decisions are directed towards pleasing God, doing what I know pleases God, how, how committed am I to God? Um, I feel that it would be truer to say, uh, certainly for me and perhaps for many of you watching this, that many of us Christians love God with some of our heart, some of our will. He gets some of our affection, some of our decisions, some of our choices. Um, But there are others that get more, other loved ones get more of our commitment. In our pecking order, like do we go family first, then God? Or is it family and then our careers, our work, and then God? Uh, Where is God? Do we really measure up to this love God with all your heart, the entirety, all of it? Um, If you're uncertain, just have a think about, in regard to God compared to others in your life, Who's getting more time, more focus, more priority, more commitment? C.S. Lewis, a famous writer of the Narnia series, great scholar, he wrote in 1952 in a letter to another person he wrote this. He says, when I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest 
better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. He concludes, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased or infused. When we love God with all of us, when we give God everything, then those other things that we love, they are infused with greater commitment and mercy and grace. As we draw nearer to God, those other relationships experience a great blessing. We were made from love and we were made to love. That's what life, that's what this life is meant to be. I look forward next week to opening up our thinking about loving God with our soul, another mysterious word. Thanks for listening.